Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. This week we come to you live from Wentworth at the BMW PGA Championship. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. We are live from Wentworth this week at the BMW PJ Championship. I'm joined by Golf Monthly Digital Editor Neil Tappen. Hello Elliot. And Golf Photography Legend Kevin Murray. Hi Elliot, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. I'm not sure he should be describing him as a legend. Uh, yeah, you can. You can. It's all right. I'm happy. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, how I guess you've been around for a long time, so... That's probably, yeah, nearly 15 years now. So, um, yeah, it's nice to be here, actually, uh, working with you guys again. Got two days of um, quite full-on content, so... Um, yeah, looking forward to it. So you've been um, you've been here numerous times before. You've taken pictures of the West Course. Yeah, um, I've seen all the changes. Basically, I think um, I can remember um, coming here uh, when I was working for another company, and um, it was when Ernie Els presented the golf course. Um, uh, to the media that's got to be over 10 years ago I would have thought and we got to play the golf course and then we got to see all the changes that he made and I think you've got quite a nice story about that uh, when Ernie was yeah so uh, the, they gathered a few it was after an association of golf writers event they gathered some some of the media who were there and they went out to the 18th hole to the 18th tee to watch Ernie play it so it was Ernie and about probably 20 or 30 members of the media to see what the changes were. It was not during BMW week. It was kind of in the middle of sort of autumn time. And Ernie was talking about the change he'd done to 18, hit his drive, smashed it straight down the middle, perfect position, walked up there. Um, and then we were looking at the second shot over water to a green that was sort of almost slightly elevated, even though you dropped down um, with the little stream in front. And it looked really narrow, really difficult. He then proceeded to hit a, about a five-wood shot onto the green to about 15 foot. And one of the <coughs> journalists who was just stood behind me said, so in summary, Ernie, it's just as easy as it ever was. <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> but it, it's, it wasn't. It was just he, he would you know, obviously have There were uh, criticisms of... Ernie as well, especially of how difficult he made that hole. It was quite controversial at the time because I think with some of the bunkering especially, he made them extremely deep. Kind of added like almost like a linksy um, sort of taste to some of the uh, the bunkers and it wasn't really in keeping with uh, with the golf course. I think some of the members weren't too too sort of uh, happy about that. Yeah, but this had to become the flagship venue for the European Tour. It was, it was always going to be a change of feel and a change of character for the golf course if because it needed to have those that those teeth to make it a real challenge for the best players in the world so Ernie was I felt like he was a little bit hard done by with some of that criticism he got it from as you say probably got it from the members who thought it was too hard and then probably got it a little bit from the players for other reasons yeah. and when you look at it now over years it's bedded in it's become it, we're now used to seeing it. People obviously don't like change. Now they're used to the change. What would you think the f the feeling is about the way in which it's appreciated now? Well, I think um, from a player's perspective, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm making this up or not, but I, I seem to remember back in the day that certain players didn't like playing here because of the way the course was set up, the conditions of the golf course, and possibly because of the time of the year that they were playing it. I mean, obviously now that we're a little bit later in the year, um, we've got no more majors to look forward to, so we've got this to look forward to, um, and we've got a very strong fit. So maybe that's a good uh, indication that the, pl the players are happy with the layout now um, and, and with the changes um, 
from my perspective, actually photographing the golf course, I think it um, it it looks fantastic. We get some aerial shots um, of the new bunker in, and um, it's pretty spectacular. So in, over, you know, I think it's it's the best it's been in the last ten years. Yeah, I would say that. Last year I came here and I was absolutely stunned by it. With that sub-air system, I think the condition was absolutely phenomenal. This week it should be better because we've had the whole summer. And it doesn't actually rank in our top 100 courses list, does it? Because it's exclusive. It's a sort of a technicality really, isn't it? Because it, it was on it before, but it's because of the way that it is, it's, it's so hard to play. Our top 100 courses list is supposed to be somewhere that people can play. And a lot of people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, will have played Wentworth in their life and will have seen those changes that we're talking about. I'd be interested to sit here what other people think about the way in which the golf course has changed and evolved over time. For sure, the 17th and 18th weren't hard enough as they were they had to change dramatically they did um, it's far more dramatic isn't it to look at yeah it's a phenomenal finish like even 17 is a very difficult birdie 18 as well you can easily make a bogey there which is possibly what they wanted I mean you look at par fives to finish you would think oh that's a really easy finish but it's anything but that <laughs> I wouldn't be going for that green in two if it was my only option. I think you've got a better chance with the changes that have been made this time round to actually go for, go go for it in two. And don't forget, these players are hitting it so far now that it's a, um, you know they they're not necessarily going in with with long irons. So there's a good chance that they can take uh, take the green on. Um, but um, just going back to what you just said about the top 100, uh, I mean, it's a loaded question, but where would you put it then in that case if you could have put it in the top 100? Yeah. That's it, what I was going to say. Yeah. I would put it as England's best inland golf course. Wow. Really? I, I, I was thinking well, last year, yeah. I, I wouldn't, but I would be certainly would be in there for me it would be quite reasonably quite high up because it's it has the history as well as the, the i think the layout is a great test of ball striking it's a really good driving test it looks fantastic it has the history i mean how much more do you want yeah i mean would you put it better than sunningdale old or new i think for a rankings perspective, Spa. i think for a rankings perspective you you might have to because of the sub air system and the conditioning and the length yeah, but that's quite unique. There's not many courses, Elliot, that can afford to do that. And I guess that's another reason why it's not in the top 100, because being an exclusive members club, they have the facilities and the budgets to do that. Um, whereas, you know, you've got even um, possibly, OK, we're talking about links courses now, but for the open venues, they don't have, no, they don't have the opportunity to do that. So um, I don't know of many uh, inland golf courses um, that uh, that could provide that to their members, but going back to um, where it ranks, I, I don't know. I mean, it's got to be top twenty. I would have thought. Well, Sunningdale is the top inland course, and that's ninth, I think. Yeah. And I don't think there's another inland course in the top twenty. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's. I, I I think around about the twenty mark would seem fair. I mean, I mean, it's so hard, isn't it? It's so subjective. Yeah. You, you you look at the, the rankings one day, then you play somewhere really good, and you think, well, that should be in the top ten. And it, it's it yeah, it's hard. Um, it's a sort of constant battle to to get a sort of a list that we're really happy with. But look, Wentworth a great golf course, um, and it has all the ingredients to, to really test the best players in the world. And that's why I know we're going to come on to talk about the favourites and the people that we, you know, we want, might bet, be tempted to bet on. But you'd be, I'd say you'd be possibly um, 
in danger of losing your money if you went for too many outsiders this week because there's such a good field and it is a great test that is going to really put them, you know, push them all. Right, here's someone coming up, Danny Willett, who um, Victor Hovland. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, and so you know, as I can't see Danny Willett being an outsider now because he's hit a bit of form more recently, hasn't he? But um, he knows his way around this golf course. We should probably say we're just to the right-hand side of the 14th green underneath the big electronic scoreboard. Um, so if you hear people shouting or <laughs> shouting four at us or whatever, that's why. So, yeah, you guys are out this morning with Rory McIlroy, weren't you? And we're talking about how difficult the course is, what a great test it is. How was he playing it? Very well. Yeah, so <laughs> passing the test. So, so it was incredibly... As far as they're, they're concerned, it's as easy as it gets. They were out at 8 o'clock this morning. There was no wind. The, it was perfect blue sky. The p- conditions were perfect. And Rory looked like it could, the game was coming incredibly easy to him. I think we, we Muzzer and I were with him for nine holes. He hit one shot that wasn't quite right, I would say. And that was a three-wood that went too far. So it just <laughs> went a little bit too far, rolled into a stream. Um, apart from that, it just looked very easy. He looked like he wasn't too fussed. And I've got a feeling that that's probably when he's at his absolute best. He was strolling, wasn't he? Okay, it's a practice round, and he was with uh, Rafa and... Um, Guido, Migliosi. And um, both of those were striking the ball really well, and, you know. Um, so, but he just looked like it was a strolling apart from him this morning, just chilling out and um, having a bit of fun with the lads. But um, I would, Do you know what, Elliot? I'd be surprised if he didn't win this week. Uh, it's very easy for me to say that I've just been following him for nine holes of course he's very good but I'd be shocked if he wasn't really wasn't right up there at the end of the week well yeah it's a ball striker's paradise here isn't it you can't chip and putt your way around and hit it in the trees you need to hit the fairways hit the greens find the right portions past champion he's in a rich vein of form he's totally relaxed will he be feeling too much pressure this week no no. I mean, can you imagine? Cast your mind back, Elliot. Remember, we, you and I were both at Portrush. That was pressure. Anything after that is going to feel very relaxing, I would think, for Rory. Yeah, I think so. I think he's just, just you know, his body language this morning was, um, uh, you know, he was he had that bounce in his step. Um, he looked good, hitting the ball absolute mile, hitting fairways. Short game was good, and actually, we we saw him make quite a few putts on the greens as well so I think after five holes he looked like he was three under so uh, comfortable very comfortable and um, I'm not sure what odds you'd get on him at the moment five to one or so yeah tournament favourite he's, he's essentially <coughs> the best player in the world right now um, what about the PJ Tour player of the year award do you think he was right in getting that oh good question Elliot I think he probably was however it's frustrating as a Rory fan so as somebody who I really admire Roy, he, I'm a definitely paid up member of the Rory McIlroy fan club um, it frustrates me that he d- he just can't do it in the majors it really is and so yes he probably PGA Tour player of the year of course he won the players he won the FedEx Cup I mean you know very good but Rory's in a phase of his career where all of that stuff it just doesn't really matter anymore did you uh, I'm just going back to the, the interview um, where they kept bringing in all the trophies and um, he looked genuinely surprised. Yeah, he did, didn't he? He really did. And I just thought, God, surely he must know what's going on. Um, he, for me, that was pretty pretty cool because they just kept bringing all these yeah. trophies. And he's looking around going, okay. And then... Um, Ka-ching. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, that was a nice moment. I enjoyed watching that. So uh, another favourite this week, 
possibly could be Shane Lowry, great form here, making his return to Europe after winning the Open at Portrush. Uh, Tappers, you spoke to him yesterday, didn't you? Yep, uh, had uh, 15 minutes with him on the um, uh, Strix and Tour truck, uh, complete with Claret Jug in hand, which was very cool. And he was, the first thing I'll say is he was exactly like the Shane Lowry I remember. I've interviewed him quite a few times over the years. I, I know it's very easy to say this because, you know, he seems like a good lad, but he is such a good lad. And he he is, he doesn't, there's no peas, there's no sort of airs and graces about Shane. You know, he'll drop the odd swear word into conversation quite happily. He hasn't changed at all from any of that perspective. So that was great. Um, I think this week is going to be a really interesting week to see how he's doing because if he is going to make that step up to become a regular competitor at the very very highest level then you would expect him to come along this week and play really well I know he's been out for a long time but he must now look at himself alongside the very best players in the field this week so alongside the Justin Roses, Rory McIlroy's, Tony Finau's, Patrick Reed's he's got to see himself as just as capable as them to win this tournament and if he does he'll do well and he has played well here before so yeah and last year champion Molinari won this and the Open didn't he Omens there you go, yeah, yeah he just quietly goes about doing his business doesn't he Molinari he just sort of like he doesn't always spring to mind as, as a favourite for me but then all of a sudden come day three and he's in the chase and he's got an incredible very, record around here yeah and you've got to, you've got to keep an eye on him because um, he's an amazing player so yeah, a very, very strong field, possibly the strongest in the tournament's history. Uh, John Rahm makes his debut. Yeah. We've got 10 of the 12 Ryder Cuppers from last year on Thomas Bjorn's side. Uh, so any of those, would you say, favourites, I guess? Can I say Rory again? <laughs> we know where your money's going. <laughs> but well, I'll tell you who my money's not on. Elliot, my money this week, unfortunately, is not going to be on Justin Rose. Not because he's not a fantastic golfer, he is, but we had some time with him yesterday um, through Honma, uh, where we were doing a whole load of different things, and he seemed to be carrying an injury to his knee. I, I suspect it might be something that you hear a bit more about in the media as the week goes on, but he was really struggling to swing a golf club, so um, I, I think I'd go as far as to say I'd be surprised to see him contend. I might even be a little bit surprised to see him play. Really? Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. He just he, he was really struggling to get his his body into a you know into a position to be able to swing the clubs. We'll see. You, you mentioned Patrick Reed. Do you think this is a golf course that would suit him? <laughs> I don't know about Patrick Reed. He's so he's so inconsistent. He'll yeah. he'll go and win the Masters, and then you won't hear from him for another year. I mean, he won the Northern Trust, didn't he, in the FedEx Cup playoffs? So when he's playing his best, he is. What really he, tough what to he beat. does have is that ability just to pop up and win. Which yeah, not, exactly. A lot of players need a good run-up. They need six months of playing well in order to win. Whereas he doesn't need that. He can just crop straight straight up and win win outright, which is a fantastic quality to have. He's somebody who you, you probably wouldn't say has any weaknesses, but then can he get his whole game working? Who knows? I know he didn't have a great week in Germany a couple of weeks ago. Uh, someone who did was Paul Casey. I quite fancy him this week. Uh, we caught up with him earlier, so you hear that later in the podcast. Casey won here 10 years ago. He also won the 06 match play back in those days. So if you're looking at a favourite, that's somebody sorry, who I would probably County back. Junior. Um, so obviously, you know, this is his, his, his backyard, even though he doesn't live in the UK anymore. This so is definitely so his. We're talking about the favourites. What about outsiders? Who would you... If you were to put an outside bet on someone, 
Uh, what would you I'm think value for money? Who would you think would be value for money? Anyone over 50 to 1. I haven't actually looked at the odds. Anyone over 50 to 1. That's what you would class as an outsider. <laughs> Any, uh, anyone over 50 to 1 is a good spread. bet. No. <laughs> it's an interesting thought process. Um, who? Uh, <laughs> I might go with who I saw first this week, so I'm just trying to think. That's normally a good omen, isn't it? Well, we just saw Chris Paisley go through, and I, I mentioned to you guys that I followed him for a few holes a couple of years back. Um, and he's not a big guy, but he hits it an absolute mile. And he's had a bit of form around here. So, uh, you know, no idea what his odds would be. But, you know, as an outside bet, you've got a, that's an each-way bet, obviously. So is it that sort of player that could actually creep up and win this competition, do you think? Ooh, Good question. Somebody I think that's a behind tall you, order. Mother, has just hit hit it to about five foot on the fourteenth. So I'll probably go for whoever that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to find out in a second. Um, Joe, uh, a couple of names that spring to mind on the outsiders category. I don't know what Eddie Pepperell's odds are, but he I suspect he's not going to be too much of a favourite given the quality of the players who are the favourites on the list. Uh, uh, hasn't played particularly well hasn't played badly hasn't played particularly well but was injured a little while back I suspect he might be a little bit lower in the um, in the betting look out for him the other one would be Soren Keldson uh, just a wily old comp- campaigner I know he doesn't hit the ball that far and that could be an issue for him around here but he always seems to do okay around here so yeah he would be a yeah, choice first time I came to watch this tournament in 2009 Keldson was in the final group with Paul Casey and Casey steamrolled him that day but you regaled us with a story about how they were wearing the same outfit earlier yeah yeah, uh, white trousers. <laughs> oh, it is one for the podcast. Okay, carry on. <laughs> Blue polo shirts. You know, the things you remember, isn't it, in life? <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. How old were you then? 14. Oh. Yeah, so I used to come here quite a lot to watch the seniors because I had the seniors on the Edinburgh course. Yes. And then I never came to the match play, but I wish I did. Cause who, would have been, who would have been your favourite golfer in those days? Uh, in the senior tour? no. Favourite golfer? Right. Uh, just starting, probably Ernie Els. Bobby Jones? <laughs> That's in your day, mother. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Old Tom Morris. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Cheap. But yeah, Cheap Ernie, shot. Ernie had a great record round here, didn't he? Winning six or seven match plays. I know he owns a house, or he, he did, did, just up there on, on the, the 16th, 16th hole. Yeah. And uh, done a lot of changes to this course, so... Yeah. Going back to Eddie Pepperell, you were um, talking earlier on about um, the technical aspect of his swing. Yes. Um, and I um, did a photo shoot with him uh, for Golf Monthly back in uh, February in Dubai with Jez Elwood. Um, and I couldn't understand a word he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what he was trying to, to, to do and also what I had to get as far as a photograph is concerned, um, uh, it, was, it was mind-boggling what, what, you know, what he was trying to explain. I think you've done uh, the article in the magazine, so I need to go back now and look at what, what he said and how it matches with my photographs to see if I can actually understand it's an interesting point we did a thing if you follow any of the video content we do we do we did a video that went up onto YouTube with a effectively like a swing clinic with Eddie where he talked about these things that you were just talking about there Muzza and um what it shows you is that he thinks about the game in exactly the same sort of way as he thinks about life in general. He's, he's intelligent, he's thoughtful, he's quite different actually to the rest of them. Um, and, you know, credit to him because there's a lot of identikit golfers out here and he's not one of them. Now, who has hit this? That who is, is this? Uh, it's Ryan Fox. Ryan Fox, yeah, there you go. There's your outsider, folks. 
Um, on this hole, this four he's a- attached to Fox Hills, so just up the road, isn't yes. he? So it's in Addleston, yes. just on the road as well. Yeah, um, so yeah, the fourteenth hole. May may have to talk a little bit quieter now because a golfer's just chipping up. A golfer? Surely you can do better than just calling him a golfer. Um, Who is it? Is it SSP It's Charager? SSP Charager, yeah. He's playing with Tyrrell Hatton and Ryan Fox. So we've got a front pin here on 14, the par 3 uphill. And if you just come up short, it rolls back some 20 yards. Ryan Fox, how far does he hit it? He's, uh, and he slings it as well. Yeah, I know he had a long period of missed cuts this year, but... After he won. He'll be 100 to 1, possibly. That's where my money's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love how how easily swayed you are, Elliot. What about Tyrrell Hatton? I mean, he's kind of like dropped off the uh, radar a little bit. Yeah, had a quiet time after the Ryder Cup. Don't say it too loudly, but he's right behind you. <laughs> yeah. So moving on now, this is in a new date. The PGA is all normally at the end of May. We're here in September. Course is in phenomenal condition. It's got the best field for years. It's all good for the European Tour. It's, I think this event has benefited from the schedule change this year for sure. When you look at the, how good the field is, um, you know, just from a selfish perspective, from a golf monthly perspective, we've had a lot of good opportunities with very good players this week. So we've had time with quite a few people because of where it comes in the schedule, because of it coming after the major season, after the FedEx Cup. It seems to be a better, better natural fit. Um, and in terms of general state of the European Tour, I don't know, it just feels like we haven't seen you know, a whole host of the top players playing on the European Tour for a while, so it's good to have them back. Yeah, you, you can't ignore, though, that the PGA Tour has completely dominated it this year, and this is a phenomenal event. We've got some great events coming up. But since Dubai or Abu Dhabi in January, there hasn't been much at all, has there? Flashes of... Good like, Irish Open was great this year. Yeah, um, Scottish Open was a bit of a letdown. I thought the Sc- week before the Open, and nobody was I really know, there. Be- well, because the, a lot of the players that played in Ireland wanted to, I suspect, wanted to stay in Ireland. It was became more convenient, didn't it? You prepare, you play in Ireland, you sort of prepare yourself. They got the golf course in a similar sort of shape to yeah. what they would be expecting at Portrush. If you're do- thinking about your Open prep, that seemed to be a more sort of naturally a natural way to do it. Uh, <laughs> Scheduling is really hard. I mean, I I don't know where you even start with the scheduling. It's such a difficult, it's like a sort of impossible puzzle. Um, and they're juggling so many different things. And let's face it, right, the more the players earn, the less they're going to play. And that's just a fact. And if they're going to earn more money in the US and playing PGA Tour events, then it's, it's just the way life is. Yeah, I think um, the Rolex series has made, you know, quite a big difference. So, um I know that um, you're, just to keep your card nowadays, you've got to earn an awful lot more money. I know a friend of mine, Jigger Thompson, did really quite well last year, but not good enough. Um, you know, he earned over 250,000 euros, whereas that would have definitely kept your card in the, in, in, you know, in the past. But it's different now. So, um, you know, it's going to be tougher for these guys to, to the Europeans to keep their cards over here. Um, whether or not the top guys feel that they need to come back to Europe to play in these competitions, I don't know. Are they getting paid to do that? Is there an incentive, you know, from a different level for from sponsorship? Um, yeah. yeah, the tour won't pay appearance money, but the likes of Porsche might. BMW, I don't know if they do. And yeah. of course, you've got the Ryder Cup as well, haven't you? So you need to play 
for uh, for regular events to be on that. Yeah, and all of these players want to be known as, want to be remembered as global players. Don't forget. Are you like, sure about that? I think so. I think Do so. They care about their legacy. I would say so. I think think if you want to be renowned as a uh, a golfer that the world remembers, you've got to play all the way around the world. Or you come here this week, and you'll notice that, like just from our experience here this morning, Rory would carry probably. Fifty percent of the crowd with him. That's because he's like, people really feel connected to him. And if you want to be in that league where you're somebody that pe- can make a big difference to people, maybe they don't. Maybe some of these top players don't want to make a difference to people. But I suspect they do. I suspect they want to be renowned as great players. I think you've got to test yourself all over the world. The one, the, the one good thing about the schedule, I think, with the U.S. Tour season sort of squishing itself into pre. NFL season is it does leave a big gap doesn't it after the NFL um, finishes oh sorry after the NFL starts to when the PGA Tour season really starts to get into its own flow again there is a big gap there and the European Tour have clearly you know they've been left with that gap and they're really trying to focus on trying to fill that with as many good tournaments as possible so next week's Dunhill is going to be a great event as a result so there will be beneficiaries from the the PGA Tour schedule so um, yeah they could do with a few good winners though couldn't they European Tour now yeah definitely we've had a couple in the last couple of weeks yes we have Sergio and Casey yeah okay and that asks another question I mean all the youngsters coming through who's out there that's going to take over from these guys who are the, the shining lights that um, you know can can replace yeah, when all right, Rory's still got you know another 10-15 years playing at the, the top level but are we seeing enough strength of youngsters coming through that um, especially British youngsters coming through well you've got Tommy Fleetwood as well he's sort of similar age to Rory isn't he um, and Victor Hovland's going to be a great player but he'll predominantly play US John Rahm is going to be a Obviously, he already is, but he's going to be a major winner. He's going to be a world-class player for many years. He's very young. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about, like, you know, 20-year-olds, 18, 19, 20-year-olds coming in, making their mark on the on on, on the on the uh, competition or on the European tour. Um, and I'm just wondering whether you've got a lot of Europeans uh, coming through. Um, uh, Christian, uh, what's his surname? So, Zayden Hoot. Yeah, he's not European, but um, what a talent he is, you know. So they're the sort of you know, players that um, I think are necessary to, to keep it going, to keep that strength, and also to keep the interest as far as the viewers are concerned, because, you know, if you don't get these top fields, you know, do they get the... Um, TV coverage, do they get the viewing on the TV? I know I don't watch a lot of golf on TV nowadays. One thing I was thinking the other day is that we're just so saturated with golf. Like, people will sit down and watch six hours of the Ashes as casual fans, but you wouldn't watch the Ashes every week if it was on 48 weeks a year, would you? No, you wouldn't. And, I, you know, I go back to when, um, uh, with the Masters, that was really the sort of, like, highlight of the of the year as far as golf was concerned. And that would be for an hour and a half, two hours on a, on a. Uh, I think it was a Friday night it started, and then you'd get the Saturday, and then you'd get the uh, a, a little bit longer on the Sunday. So that was more or less all you would get as far as um, uh, you know American golf was concerned. You wouldn't get an awful lot of. You, you'd get the Open, of course. Um, 
so you're right I mean there's there's a, there's a lot of golf out there to watch um, funnily enough I thought the um, Solheim Cup the, I watched the last two hours of that and that was fantastic viewing that really was I mean that's what golf is about on TV for me you know sort of that match play experience but, but hang on you're always going to have those big events aren't you the Ryder Cup Solheim Cup uh, Masters Open etc so those are going to be your effectively yeah, your ashes as well. so you shouldn't worry too much about some of the other events not having quite the same should you or do you need to do something to those other events well, to make them more watchable I think that's part that's of the point, point I'm making you know should we is, is there something that they can do but you need the top players to be playing don't you exactly they can't play every week they can't no but they do yeah I suppose they get them out in the states you know, and you and you can you can watch uh, American golf out you know over here in Europe uh, over the weekend. So, um, and that's maybe that's all you need to watch nowadays. Or a bit it? like Formula One. There's 20 races a year, so 20 weekends a year that you're you're tuned in, as opposed to pretty much 51 now in this year-round calendar that we have. Yeah. Um, Yes, Formula One as a, a visual sport for me is like watching paint dry. I'm sorry. It's just <laughs> 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 ah, there's Tony Fee now. Ah, perfect. There he is. Ah, and he's looking good. He's looking great. very smart. Bright orangey red shirt, a matching matching hat. That's going to look good in camera. Good. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> our listeners will be delighted to hear. Um, all right, thanks for joining me today, chaps. Thank you, Elliot. Enjoy the week. Yeah, thanks, Elliot. Have a great week. So thanks to Tappers and Muzza for being on the podcast this week. We'll be back next week with Tom, who is away today. Do make sure to tune in to the Golf Monthly social channels this week and the website where we'll have plenty of coverage here from Wentworth. For the next bit of the podcast, we said that we had audio with Paul Casey. We were involved in a little huddle earlier with a few other journalists and Paul was in great form. He had a lot of interesting things to say, so we'll just include the whole thing there. Enjoy. Yeah, you know that, down the road in Weybridge. So, uh, Fox Hills, I was a member there when I was I was a Fox kid, which is that little uh, initiative they, you know, they're running for golf and tennis. So when I was 11, I was a member there. Um, so yeah, I love this place. Uh, I love all the golf courses around here, the crowds. Um, it is a, honestly a treat, you know, there's been a few weeks, a few years where I've sort of not played that much golf in Europe and um, uh, yeah, it's, it's an honour to be back. Not only have you played here and love it, but you haven't won here twice. Twice, yeah, I've got two clubs in the in summer on display. I haven't been in the clubhouse this year, I know that we did some renovations, but two clubs used to be on display on the left as you walk in. Um, I need to go check them out and it's that's cool. Uh, yeah, 06 was the match play. Um, beat Sean McKeel 10 and 8 <laughs> uh, and then um, 09 was the PGA uh, birdie the last to beat Ross Fisher by one so um, it, you know and, and a little bit like to bring up you know Porsche I won a couple of weeks ago that was a championship I used to watch at Walton Heath I remember vividly Mike Harwood winning around there when I was attending that week so it's something about these places and the shots I used to watch as a kid growing up um, you know, it's. It, I still feel very honoured, privileged to be able to come here and do what my heroes were were doing, or try to walk in their footsteps. Um, I absolutely love it. And to add to the, the the history, even though it's a fraction, you know, adding to the sort of the fabric of this great game, um, that's to me what it's all about. You said recently that age is a number. Forty-two. You're playing as good as ever. I think was the quote. And you're winning. 
Yeah, I am. I don't know how long it'll go. I mean, maybe five years. I don't know how long I've got left, but at this sort of this level anyway. Um, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I've, I work incredibly hard to. Uh, it's become such a physical game. Now you look at Rory and Brooks, uh, and and they're such good athletes. Um, I guess I've been lucky that I've always been, you know, a pretty good athlete, um, and I found a nice balance between. I work incredibly hard at it, but not too hard that I'm, you know, picking up injuries and uh, I practice less than I used to. I've got a family now, and it's it's so. I think I'm striking a nice balance, whatever that balance is. I don't know what it is. Hopefully, I can keep winging it and, and keep doing it. Uh, but I, I enjoy the challenge as well. I enjoy the challenge of being 42, trying to compete with the 20-somethings or teenagers now, as we're seeing come through. Um, and it gets a lot of them kind of doing a, a double take as well. I had Rory saw Rory last night, and he, even he's like, you know, he's, he's like great playing still. So that's that makes me feel good. And you're back involved with the European Tour. You had that time away in America and back last year, and fantastic Ryder Cup memories. People are already talking about you possibly in the team in a year or so's time. Yeah, I'd love to be in another team. It was it was three years away, and it was too difficult to do to it two tours at the time I was outside the top 50 and that's what people forget I didn't just walk away and give up I mean I just couldn't do it uh, my my I was um, I would have lost my tour cards and probably in both places if I continued so um, uh, it was too big a lure to <laughs> to give up to, to ignore um, Bjorn was and, and watching Darren Clark and his team the Hazel team was painful to watch and I thought well if I can contribute in any way I'd love to contribute um, um, and I felt like I could. Um, the last few years I've played some decent stuff again. Um, Bjorn, we had great conversations as I've, I've said to a lot of people and I thought he was a... You never know how a captain's going to be. I thought he'd be a good captain. He turned out to be a great captain in my mind, um, in my eyes. And um, yeah, I'm glad I'm doing it. And now there's other goals now, you know. Hate, uh, Whistling Straits would be great to be part of that team with, with Paddy. Uh, I have also been quite vocal the last couple of months. I'd love to be at the Olympics. That would be something really special. I, I think I've only got one more chance at it. I'll be 43 next next summer when the Olympics takes place. Um, so my goal is very much to be top 15 in the world and lock up a, a place on that Great Britain team. Uh, probably alongside Rosie, Tommy, I mean, it could be Fitzy or Matt Wallace, or it could be anybody, you know, but, but yeah. I don't want to. I'm not assuming they're going to drop in the world ranking, so I need to stay up there. Um, yeah, Olympics at Tokyo at 43 would be would honestly be one of the highlights of my career representing Great Britain. Is it the same um, uh, qualifications, Paul? It's two, unless you've got four in the picture. Correct. It's it's top two. I want to say June 22nd is the cutoff date on the world ranking, something like that. You double check it. Um, yeah. yeah. Don't rely on those guys dropping down and just automatically being one of the top two um, Brits. Obviously uh, helps Rory. Go. Rory's going to play for Ireland, so that helps yeah. a little bit. Helps a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I want to be top 15. Hopefully, we've got four players. Yeah, and is the schedule going to be geared towards that? You're going to. Yeah, I'll tweak it if I need to. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll play the game if I need to. You know, because we we all know the world ranking system is. It's, I think it's good. I think it, it. The guys at the top and the guys. It's fair the guys are ranked where they should be ranked but we all know that the system can be a little bit quirky sometimes you skip a week you move up or whatever it is I'll I'll hold my hand up I will play the system if I have to to make that top 15 and what about, um, what, skip what about a week or something. I heard you say earlier as well that the, uh, the world tour championship DP 
uh, I couldn't relevant. say it, yes, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it slips off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, that it's relevant because it's a chance to win. Do you look at it and think you've still got a chance to win it this year? Yes. Yeah. Because I've got to, because I think you've basically the guy who wins it wins it pretty much because there's so, so many so many sort of um, points yeah. uh, on offer. You've got to be there or thereabouts. I think. I think I looked at it. And if you're sort of top ten going into it, and then you win that week, you kind of okay. win, sort of thing. I need to look at the look at it again. So I obviously need to because I'm I don't know why I'm I'm in the teens, aren't I? Yeah. Uh, I need to I need to probably throw in a victory this week or Italy. So I'm going to play this one. I'm playing Italy and then I'm playing Dubai, um, as well as Japan and China and Australia and stuff like that. Did you get a chance to relax after the Porsche? Um, couple of day, three days in Italy with a couple of mates. Um, yeah, it's all. It's never really that much time, John. Cycling? Um, no. Hello, Rex. Um, no, sailing. Snowboarding. That's allowed. Sailing's allowed, as long as it's not extreme sailing. It certainly was not extreme. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't crash the boat this time, so it's good. Can you, uh, having a leadership position, being on the pack on the PGA Tour, and what they're doing this week for pace of play as far as monitoring groups with that GPS tracking system, Yes. is there anything you think the Tour can take from what the European Tour is doing with their four-point plan? Well, the PGA Tour have been uh, working quietly behind the scenes on, I mean, this year's Players' Championship, they, uh, they drop GPS units in the groups. Where? Yes, in the bags. Oh well, didn't they? Yeah, they asked us to carry it, and some of us did, some of us didn't. But um, uh, is it for the whole group, or just for to monitor one player? That's a good question. I don't have the answer to that. Um, so, and with their shot link system, they're able to monitor position. Um, but I don't. I think um, yes, it's very much a hot topic right now, Rex. But I don't know. It's, I don't know. There's lots of things going on, but I don't have the answers to your question right now. I'm just in curious terms of what they're going to do. If there's anything you've seen <clears throat> from what the European Tour is doing as far as their four-point plan that could apply in the United States, I guess, which is the question. I need to, I need to <coughs> read the four-point plan a little bit closer before I can give you a full answer. Did you see the, <laughs> the um, you see any of the Solheim Cup and the, the six-hour rounds there? I didn't. I was I, I was in Italy, those the three days I was in Italy, and uh, all the the only Solheim Cup I consumed was actually on social platforms. So um, no, I saw a little bit of chatter about slow slow rounds. But are you against slow. slow play, or do you just think golf's always inherently going to be a slow game? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very difficult to get round. Certainly, the golf courses we play quickly. Um, having said that, could it be improved? Yes. Um, you know, it's and, and and to be honest, a lot of it is optics as well. It doesn't sometimes just doesn't look good. We're not looking necessarily to, to drastically reduce. Okay, six is way too long. Um, but sometimes on the PGA Tour, for example, that's obviously where I play most of my golf. We're just looking for sometimes ten or fifteen minutes here and there. Um, over the course of a day but unfortunately you know optically it looks poor they're just you know when the tv cameras get on a particular shot and it's a couple of minutes long or something um, it is but it is an inherently slow game yeah that's part that's of the, problem, that's part of the uh, enjoyment for some people it's a day out 
Last question. Yeah. I've changed the week to September from May. The weather though could be May weather. You're here. A really strong feel. BMW European Tour will be delighted. This, this is really set up this week. They should do. I mean, they should be delighted. It's um, I think the course plays better in September and October than it does in May. It's not growing as much. We've had a full season now. The grasses are all settled in. Um, the weather can be spectacular in September. I mean, it could go either way. Give us another couple of weeks, and the winter will start to be coming, and the trees will be turning. But um, um, the schedule also is, you know, the perfect opportunity for the European Tour to capitalise on a on a, a lull on the PGA Tour schedule, um, which is obvious. Um, and I think capitalise, uh, you know, they are making the most of it. So it's great to see we've got 10 of the 10 of the 12 from Paris last year here and a whole bunch of other great players, some international guys. Solid week. It's what it should be.